this morning I when we praise and worship the Lord I just see a man running through walls and um, and if we want to break these walls that are in front of us that we don't know how to break down it's all with intimacy with God so and it's a choice that we have to be intimate to make that choice to you know to to press in and while you're pressing in you will break those walls that is in front of you so yeah awesome It's like, I think we all have walls in our lives. And if we want to break down some of those walls, it takes force. So um, ask Kheri about that. Um, like, like sometimes you hit stuff and it hits back. <laughs> but uh, so this morning, I feel that for us, yeah. It's like in worship, we can take more ground in your heart, in your life. And that miracle that we're expecting from God, uh, sometimes it takes some activation from our part. It takes us to actually push into God, like physically and 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 in with your spirit, with your heart, to press into that. And uh, so, but before I go on. I just want to say that I really feel like, you know, the harvest is plentiful and we see many times on social media, you know, the self-love thing and self-preservation thing where, you know, someone hurt you and now you're never going to trust again. And I just want to say that, you know, we need to move away from that. We are not of the world, you know. We can afford to love because... We have been loved like that. We are full and we can give out of that. Even if you, even by discernment, you see this person might hurt me. You can love with abandon because God has given you enough love to give to anyone. You don't have to decide whether they are deserving or not. You can just pour out love and God will give you more. And that is his will for us also. And he wants to bring that healing and love. People are starving for love. So let's give more of that without self-preservation. Just giving love because God loved us like that. Very good. And this is a place where you come to fill up. To be able to give that love. In worship. In worshiping God. And... I was, I was singing some of those words and I was thinking, actually, if we can sing these words, I don't need to preach. Like if you can sing some of these words in these, in these, in these songs that we sing and you can mean them when you sing them, then, then my job is done as, as the guy that's supposed to bring a message. Because that's really my heart for all of us is to move us into a place where we can really sing those words and mean them. And I'm I'm preaching to myself, yeah. Not just I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at us. Uh, can we do that? Let's worship God with and and mean those words. Our Father, come and speak to us, Lord, now through Your Word, Lord. As we listen to your word that you've written, Lord, and the word that you speak, Lord, speak to our hearts, Lord, and Holy Spirit, come 
Come guide my words, Lord. Let's let's stay in this heart and this atmosphere and uh, spend time time around God's word. said this last week um, so I learned this from Mike Davies the first time you say something you have to say who said it because you're quoting them right and then the next time you can say like I said last week and then the next time I say this I can say like I always say so I said this last week (laughs) that church is not peripheral to the world The world is peripheral to the church. It's a phenomenal statement to say that. And uh, it's stuck with me through the week. Um, Is that true in my life? So, um, church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Yeah. So much of the world is peripheral to what the world is supposed to be about if we look around us so let's read this morning Acts 17 verse 24 and this is the story of Paul in Acts so actually important for us as we read the Bible to realize that what you read is an historical account it's a story but it's, it's a historical account of what happened so it's a true story This is what Paul did. This is where he went. Do we read it like that? Or do we read it like it's supposed to mean something else? It's like it's just, it really is somebody that lived. And what they did. And how God used them and worked through them. So the backstory on Acts 17.24 starts with Acts 17. Paul was in Thessalonica preaching the word like he always did. It says in Thessalonica. And he went to the Jewish synagogue and he spoke about God's kingdom and about Jesus dying and being resurrected. And it says some of the guys there believed and also the Greeks. And they started following Paul and they started doing what he said. And then some of the other guys got upset with him and incited a mob and we in South Africa knows what an incited mob sounds like and looks like. I think the Europeans have no idea. Uh, they incited a mob, and then they grabbed Paul. They wanted to go grab Paul and take him to the mob. So they first got a violent crowd going, and then they wanted to, that was the plan. It's like once we've got them up and going, we'll get Paul and give him, make him the culprit, and they can kill him. But the guys that started believing first saw this coming, probably knew their mates, 
and then they took Paul and Silas and Timothy and they said, leave now, go, run. And then those guys almost got killed. They had to pay their way out of prison to not be killed. That was the price of, <laughs> of hearing Paul and listening. Then <clears throat> Paul and them went on to Berea later in Luke and Acts 17. And the same thing happened there. But it says this, funny enough, it says, the people of Berea were more noble than the people of Thessalonica. So they did not incite the crowd. But then when the guys of Thessalonica, town next door, so call it Storpiers, that Otsuren is changing. And then they came, yeah. And then they did the same thing. They started inciting a crowd. And it obviously didn't go so well because only Paul fled. The Timothy and, and Silas stayed a, a little bit longer. And that's how Paul gets to be in Athens with mostly Greeks. And he's waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him. So he's just hanging around going, shoo. Those were two close calls. And uh, <clears throat> while he's in, in Athens, sorry. I don't drink water, I play in it, um, normally. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, then um, he's waiting, he's hanging around in Athens. And it says that he was struck and convicted and saddened by the gods that he saw the people of the Greek people serving, that they didn't have God, that they were following false gods, and he, was, he couldn't stay quiet. So here he is. He's just fled for his life. And he goes, okay. That was the Jews. Now he's amongst the Greeks. And he's going, I can't keep quiet. So he starts talking. Then the guys of Athens grab him. And they take him to some plane somewhere. And they go, tell us your story. Because we want to hear what, he, what is it that you're saying. So I don't know about you. But right about now, I'm feeling like she's... I'm in the headmaster's office and I haven't done my job well and I'm in big trouble here. What does he do? This is what he tells them. So he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God in the hope that they might feel find their way toward him and find him. I'm sure that's a find. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So, in him we have, where is that? In him we live and move and have our being. Wow. Church is not peripheral to, the, to our lives. 
God is not peripheral to our lives. The rest is peripheral to God. In Him, there, in Him, we live and move and have our being. Outside of God, there is no life. Even the life, the breath that people have that do not know God is given by God. And then I started asking myself this question is, where am I in that statement? So, where's my life? Am I, am I committed like I see Paul was? Paul was going like, he threw every care to the, light, to the wind. We don't read about Paul being hungry. We don't read about Paul being cold. We don't read about him going to the shop and having to buy groceries. He had to do all those things. He was hungry. He was cold. Sometimes he had a lot. He said that. Sometimes he didn't have a lot. But his focus remained, even when he fled for his life and was waiting for his friends to join him, to go to the next place. His focus in life was to declare the truth of the gospel to the rest of the people, to show them and live among them so they would see that. In him, we have our life and our being. And, uh, and then I, it just struck me. So I'd like all of us to ask us that question. Ask yourself that question. Is that where you are today in your life? Or do we have to break down some boundary walls and fight to get ourselves into that place? And um, I love the word, like, we should give our our love to one another and to the people around us, whether they deserve it or not. It's not like, here's a nice, it's, there's a, there's a scripture there that says, it is, it is easy for a man to give, what, help me there, to love, to, to love a brother. Okay, the concept is, it's easy for us to love somebody that deserves it and is nice. But Jesus died for us while we were his enemy. That's the example. It's like, would we die for our enemies? Would we love the unlovable? Can we do it? It's not just easy. It's God, and, and that's what struck me, is actually God not asking us to do easy things. It's quite hard to give love to unlovable people. You're not going to get love back. That's why they're called unlovable. <laughs> that's why the rest of the people are not loving them. But can we break into those hearts and allow God to work through us into even the unlovable people? Hopefully there's nobody here that's unlovable. No? Because <laughs> hopefully, hopefully actually God's love has permeated all of our hearts to the point where we actually start pouring out love. And that's the reverse of an unlovable person. Is the person that loves everyone. Because everybody wants to love them back. So, I promise you, you start living like that, you will get more than you give. It just works that way. That's God's economy. But where, where am I in my life? And you guys might look at me and go like, okay, oh, but you're the lead elder, though. Are you... That's what you do. Isn't my life there? Is it? I can ask myself that question. 
is my life really there? Am I like Paul? Would I walk out if God asks me into the middle of the road during Kaka and Ka with a megaphone and start talking to people? Would I? If God says I must. Um, and I ask myself that question, would I? I, I hope I would. <laughs> um, Ross Lahana, now his uncle during COVID, got on the roof of his, of his house because we weren't allowed to preach the word. So he got on the roof of his house. I've got video of that. And he started preaching the word. And then he got his guitar and his amp up there. I don't know how. <laughs> where, where does he live? In, in Musenberg. Musenberg is a hard place to do that. I'm telling you, his neighbors are not just unsaved, they're on drugs. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And he started preaching off the rooftop of his, of his, of his house in Musenberg. His congregation is in Weinberg. There is a congregation now in, in Musenberg. That started with him getting on his roof with a megaphone and later with his guitar and his amp and he started worshipping God. So, will we do that? Is that how bold we'll be? Because that's out there, guys. That is like absolutely out there. Throw caution to the wind. Will we love others that way? Because it's love that took him there. It's love that took him there. It's seeing as Paul. Paul's going into Athens and he's going, I'm going to be quiet. I'm waiting for, for Silas and Timothy. And then he goes, wow, these people don't know God. They're lost. And it moves his heart. And he just risks it again. And it ends with people getting saved and a church being planted in Athens. Where am I? And that led me to this answer. Well, God looks at your heart, right? So we could go and be the Pharisees and go pray on the corner to be seen. And then God is not impressed. And you go like, oh. So it's not just a show. <laughs> it's not just getting on my roof and doing the same thing that Ross did. Because then now I'm reproducing and I'm, I'm just a show. So it's not that. Because God's going to look at my heart. And how do I know that? And it's in Samuel 16 verse 7. God is preparing Samuel's heart to raise David as a king. And David's a little boy. And Samuel was, he loved Saul. It says Saul was taller than all of the people. It was like a head taller than anybody else. He was like Dirk. And it's like, and he was, he was pretty to look at. He was like, like Dirk. (laughs) Like a man's man, you know. And, uh. Like good looking and strong and, and people wanted to follow Saul and Samuel loved Saul. He was he, like everybody loved Saul. Saul messed up. Dirk's not gonna mess up. <laughs> and uh, if he were gonna mess up he would have done it by now, Dirk. <laughs> but David was a little boy and God had to prepare Samuel's heart. To be able to anoint David as king. And he said to him. But the Lord said to Samuel. Do not look at his appearance. Or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. 
that's talking about Saul. And he says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the, on the outward, but the Lord looks on the heart. And God looks at our heart. Where's my heart is the next question. Where am I? The next question is, where, where's my heart? Because Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. So there we find in the gospel, that's Jesus' Jesus's word. So where is my heart? Can you answer that question? Would you like to answer that question? Is it with my job? Is it with my kids? Is it with my kids' exams at the moment? Is it uh, in sports? Is it in my health? Uh, is it in comfort? Because And comfort goes to laziness. Is my heart in laziness? Do I just want to hang around home and do nothing? Where is my heart? And um, in Luke 12 verse 32, we see that, that scripture. It says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. We know thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I googled the scripture. And you know that Google gives you only what you want to hear. So... If you Google the scripture where, you, where your treasure is, where your heart is, what would Google give you? It will give you Luke 6 verse 19. Let's look at that. Oh, Matthew, sorry, Matthew. Matthew 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. I find it interesting that Google gave me this version in the Bible, and not Luke. When I opened this version, the Bible gave me Luke as a reference. But Luke says, Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father in heaven has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. Huh? Isn't that, that sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? And um, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Where is your heart this morning? Where's my heart this morning? Is it with my children? Is it with my work? Is it with money? What was Jesus saying? Was he saying, go sell your house, go live in a tent on the street corner, and then give all your possessions away and be poor? Do you think that's what he says? No. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, what is your heart like? That's what Jesus is asking us. God is looking at your heart. He's going, will you do that if I ask? Would you sell everything you have and go live in a tent in the street 
and give everything to the poor. And is that where you truly see your treasure? That it is in heaven? Is that your heart? Is it my heart? Sure. Is it? If God asks me. So, I'm telling you, I'll have to move my heart. If God asks me. I really hope he doesn't. (laughs) But if God has to ask me now, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, I'll have to move my heart. It's not there now. And that's okay. Because he hasn't asked me. But will I be able to move my heart? Will I be able to actually do even that? Um, so how, how would I do that? Thought about that. Um, so, <laughs> the amazing thing is, it's, it's, it, it sounds terrible, it sounds hard, doesn't it? Right? So I had a physics professor, and Stellenbosch, and then you always do practicals in physics. And my kids always want to do practicals in school, because they're being homeschooled. Uh, but physics practicals in varsity is horrible. It's boring, and it takes a whole afternoon, and you just want to go play soccer or cricket or something with the other guys at the res, and now you're sitting here <laughs> and looking at little balls going, ding, 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 and you're measuring them with a little stopwatch. How long does it take for the momentum to last? <laughs> so if you can avoid it, do <laughs> but uh, that's physics, and then but some of the some of the stuff you do in physics practical is quite hard. It's like difficult to get it done. It's difficult to to measure it accurately, and that's why you take the whole afternoon is to get it right, to get to see what you need to see. The experiment needs to work. And we had a physics professor that used to say there are two ways of doing something. There's the wrong way and the easy way. And that's if you go to me, says, just, I'm struggling, I'm not getting this. And he says, yeah, two ways of doing things, the wrong way and the easy way. You're doing it wrong. If it's, is it tough? You, you're just doing it wrong. You're using the wrench the wrong way. I, I've taught my kids, like if you're trying to do something with a, t- with a tool that wasn't meant to do the job, then you're just going to injure yourself. But if you get the right tool and you use it correctly, the job becomes easy. And that's a good news, is that it isn't hard to move your heart when God asks you something. It actually is easy, because it is the correct order of life to have God as the center of our life. When that falls into place, it's just magical, really. Because all of a sudden, the whole universe comes into its rightful order, its rightful place and things become easy. So was it hard for Paul? It was impossible for Paul to be silent. He didn't consider the cost. He didn't consider his own life. He was going, I can't keep silent. I have to speak. Because his heart was in that place. And It's a correct order of God being the center of my life. 
and Jesus taking everything and being the Lord of my life. And that makes it easy. So actually we are asked to place Jesus in the center of our lives. Seek the kingdom of God first. And all these things will be added to you. So that's said in, in Luke 12, which I left out. <laughs> so it says, seek the kingdom of God first. And all these things will be added. All the worldly stuff, all the stuff you need. All the time to study for your exams. Important. Youth, kids, kids are out. But important to study for your exams. It is. It's important to go to work in the morning. It is important to look after your health. It is important to exercise. It is important. Why? Because if you don't, you won't be able to serve God for very long. If you don't rest, if I don't rest, then I'll burn out and I'll be another case of some pastor that burned out and fell off the rail somewhere. If I don't exercise, well, then I'll be tired all the time and I'll be able to do less. But do I, is it an idol? Has my life become about exercise and has my life become about financial gain? Or is God and his kingdom the center and am I seeking that first and then God adds the rest? And I can testify that God does add what you need to serve him when you need it. So, how do I move my heart? I think um, it's impossible to do it without God. So, you, ha you have to see Jesus to move your heart. There's an old hymn that uh, was written in 1913 it says turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and that was written in 1913 and it's based on Isaiah 45. So is there scripture for this hymn? Yeah, there is. It says, God speaking. He says, assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, your survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved. And I've wondered about this lately, like we talk about getting saved as Christians. And actually before the scripture, I couldn't find anywhere in the Bible that says that. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. But here it says, God saying, get saved, you nations that serve God, uh, foreign gods. There is no other God. It's just God. That's the Old Testament. But it's speaking about us today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
and look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of the earth will grow strangely dim because it's like looking into the sun. Have you tried to take a photograph with your camera into the sun and then you just see a silhouette of whatever you want to take a photo of? And that's, that is what happens when you turn your eyes upon Jesus as the rest of the stuff becomes a silhouette and non-detailed. It doesn't disappear. It's still there. But God's glory outweighs and outshines the rest of our problems and the things we might hold dear to. So, there's a, a newer song that was written that says Jesus at the center of it all. And we sang earlier today, we sang songs and some of those had exactly this message. It says, Jesus, you're the middle, you're the center, you're my life, I give you everything, come and rule in my life. And that's what I, that struck me when we sang it. It's like, really, if we can sing these words, then I don't have to preach this bridge. If Jesus is the center of our lives, then giving love to those people that don't even deserve it would be easy. Because his grace, his face, his glory will outshine whatever else we would think about. It would be easy to then, in an overflow of what God has done for me, give to others. So this morning, I think my first question always needs to be, is there somebody here that hasn't met Jesus? Is there someone here that says, yeah, I hear you, but I can't see his glory and his grace. I have never seen it. And maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. But you've never seen that. And you go, if God asks me today to sell everything I have, it'll be impossible. He's not that bright in my life. And um, let's, let's all close our eyes. Just to give an opportunity. And, and this is really not, not, not I've given my life, not given my life. So this is I've never given my life to God in this way. 